This is Zips Unlimited, a show about the University of Akron, its programs, its people, and its community. Zips Unlimited is produced by WZIP-FM. Hello and welcome to another episode of Zips Unlimited. My name is Chris Kepler. I'm the general manager here at WZIP. Uh, a couple people in the studio today. This is I always say this is a little bit different. I guess it's different every week. I don't know. Um, David Penta is here, and David is not really a guest. He's more of a co-host. Dave is one of our students here at WZIP. He's um, interested in, in, in news, a lot of issues that surround news and that sort of thing. So welcome, David. Thank you. I appreciate it. I'm very happy to be here. Let's learn just a little bit before we talk with Dr. Mary Treese. Um, David, you're, are you media studies major? I'm a media studies major, and I'm minoring in American politics. So I kind of treat it like media studies is my platform I get to get into the things I want to talk about, and then yeah. American politics is like my primary focus of, of studies. So. Okay. Any, now, do you know what you want to do professionally yet? Or I know. Still kinda... um, my, my focus is on radio at the moment, but I know um, a big dream job of mine is to be a news anchor for some big you know TV station sure. and, and uh, just talk about things I care about and get paid to talk for a living because I love yeah. talking in general. So it's it, – uh, I feel like that's the best way to pay the bills and, and follow my dreams and my passions and okay. have something I want to do. Very nice. Uh, a voice that uh, hopefully you'll be hearing a lot on WZIP. And, and as David mentioned, maybe a voice and a face that we'll be hearing <laughs> and, and seeing uh, well into the future. Dr. Mary Therese's voice has been on this program several times. Um, she is a professor of communication here at the University of Akron. And uh, more specifically in this context, she is the director of women's studies at the University of Akron. So welcome. Welcome back. Thank you. It's good to be here. <laughs> She's joined us uh, to talk about women's studies um, events and, and even just give some, some other commentary and some insight into things, uh, some of which was kind of across, like Dave was just talking about, between media and politics, really. Uh, but today we want to talk a little bit about um, you know, the women's studies program, but uh, before we even get to that, the, we have a special event coming up in March. It's called Southwest of Salem. And this is really a, a partnership with the Ohio Innocence Project um, and the University of Akron, correct? Yes, that's right. The Women's Studies Program is working with the Ohio Innocence Project to bring to campus a screening of the documentary called Southwest of Salem, The Story of the San Antonio Four. We're going to uh, show this documentary on March 8th, which happens to be International Women's Day, so really a great day to have this event. It's from 7 to 9 p.m. in the Student Union Gardner Theater. Uh, so we're going to screen the documentary, and then what makes this event uh, really special and significant is that one of the women who's featured in the documentary is going to be with us for a question and answer session after the screening. Her name is Anna Vasquez. Um, the documentary is really thought-provoking, so I hope that, that everybody can make it to this event that's free and open to the public. It looks at the wrongful conviction of four Latinas in San Antonio, Texas in the mid-1990s. These four women were um, wrongfully uh, accused of sexually assaulting two little girls who were the nieces of, of one of the four women charged. Um, so the the documentary looks at the hysteria that was promoted through the media, um, specifically the homophobia, the racism, and the sexism in the media, and then also the ways that those things played out in the legal system, in the courtroom, and so forth. 
All four of these women spent over a decade behind bars. They were eventually released, their convictions overturned by the Texas Innocence Project. It's such an important story to tell because wrongful convictions happen more than we know or would like to admit. And they... Um, they impact not only those who are wrongfully um, accused, but they impact their families, their loved ones, their children, and their communities. And the problem is particularly acute for marginalized people. So for um, people of color, for African-American men, um, um, for women, and also, as this documentary talks about, for LGBTQ folks. Mm-hmm. I, you know, when you were just starting to say um, about the different people that are impacted by that, obviously the people who are wrongfully convicted, but then their families, and I immediately thought all the other people who probably have fears mm-hmm. of something like that happening to them because they've heard maybe not only this story, but other stories, not only in Texas, but around the country. I mean, it's That's right. in Ohio as well. That's right. So. Yeah. And it impacts um, women um, and LGBTQ folks differently than it impacts men, for instance. So when women are wrongfully convicted, well, when men are wrongfully convicted, usually a crime did occur um, and they were wrongfully accused um, and, and charged. When women are wrongfully convicted, oftentimes there was no crime in the first place. Um, also, with these these four women who are gay, um, the the charge was sexual assault, which played into and amplified the stereotype of LGBTQ folks as sexual predators. Mm-hmm. So they experience, um, you know, all wrongful convictions, of course, are a travesty of justice. But what we're really interested in, um, myself and also the person that I'm working with at the Ohio Innocence Project, is really um, telling the stories of the ways that women and LGBTQ folks experience um, the criminal legal system. Yeah, that that does sound really. Fa- when when did the um, the documentary come out? Uh, that's a good question. It came out, I think, around the um, late twenty teens. Okay. The women were charged, and the um, their cases were going through the criminal legal system in the mid to late nineties, and they spent um, over ten years behind bars. The first decade, decade and a half of the twenty first century. Mm-hmm. All right. Reminder for our listeners, this is Zips Unlimited, 88.1 WZIP-FM. My name is Chris Kepler, general manager here. Uh, David Penta is here joining me as a co-host and also Dr. Mary Therese talking not only about Southwest of Salem coming up on March 8th at the University of Akron Student Union. This is going to be a screening, but then also question and answer. Um, you said the, the person who's going to be here is one of the women who was convicted? Okay. That's right, Anna Vasquez. Okay, very good. Um, you know, and th- this is part of uh, the Women's Studies program, right? This is a special event that's linked to Women's Studies. That's right. The Women's Studies program has an annual spring event, usually some sort of guest speaker. And this is our annual spring event this year. Okay. Yeah, so I was actually wondering, one of my bigger uh, questions regarding Women's Studies, but this also ties into the Southwest of Salem uh, story. How important do you think Women's Studies is, and especially this film, uh, to d- today's current society, because I also I feel like with social media things have 
uh, especially like social issues, they've been kind of elevated um, and in some ways for the better and in some ways for the worse. And I was wondering what your opinion is on that uh, for this story in particular. Yeah, so I think that women's studies is more important now than ever. We've seen how sexism and misogyny continues to um, be heard and be woven through various discourses, um, especially political discourses in the past um, five, ten years. So it's important to be able to counter that with the voices of women. It's also important because, and you mentioned social media, that has been uh, played a really positive role in um fostering the hashtag Me Too movement, which has given women and girls a voice to tell their stories of sexual assault and, be, and abuse and to amplify those stories and to be have their stories validated. Um, and then another reason why uh, women's studies is super important is because women's studies is um, ultimately intersectional. And what that means is it isn't just about um, women. It's about uh, race, it's about sex and sexuality, it's about uh, LGBTQ folks, it's about all, all the different ways that we are marginalized and the ways that those different positions intersect. So um, it's important to pay attention to, uh, especially now with the increasing attention on LGBTQ rights and struggles, women's studies is right there and should be right there in the middle of that as well. What do you think women's studies myths, you know, people who might be listening be like women's studies and they have a perception of what that means and you're here to say it does not mean that. What are the things that people come up with that just aren't true? Myth number one, it's just for women. Very good. That, yeah. yeah. So I invite any and all students who are listening to look into the women's studies minor and the certificate program. If you are... Um, know a woman in your life, then these issues impact you. And of course, we know that when even one group is marginalized or oppressed, we're all, we're all marginalized and oppressed. So that would be myth number one. Myth number two is, um, I think that a lot of people think that they're not a feminist. But when I ask my students, well, do you think that um, people who identify as women should be paid the same as their male counterparts doing the same work and they say well yeah sure and I say do you think that women who identify uh, people that identify as women should be able to walk safely down the street without fear of being assaulted well yeah do you think that our country should have affordable and accessible health care for all parents well yeah then you're embracing a lot of the fundamental planks of feminism. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of people who think feminism is anti-man. Right. You know. And it's not. Right. It's, it's about equality. It's, it's anti-patriarchy. Really it? <laughs> it's anti-racism. It's anti-homophobia, right? And we all need allies. So, so white people can and should be allies in racial justice movements, Straight people should and can be allies in LGBTQ struggles, and people who identify as men can and should be allies in feminist movements. You know, you just said that one of the biggest myths is that these these programs, at least the studies, are for women only. Mm -hmm. um, and I'd venture to guess we probably have mostly women. Do you have any guys in your classes? 
Oh, yes. Okay. Yeah. Um, so again, highly encourage all students who are listening to look into um, Women's Studies Minor and certificate program and our intro class called Intro to Women's Studies is a TAG course. So there are uh, male-identified students in that course, and maybe they're taking it just to fulfill their TAG. Perfectly fine there. They're going to find that it was one of the most thought-provoking classes they took here on campus. Mm-hmm. So I was actually wondering, what kind of content would you be learning about in the Women's Studies program in that certificate in general? Um, I know that I have a few buddies, actually, that have taken it, um, all women. And I was wondering if they're if I decided to get this certificate by chance, maybe what kind of what kind of content should I expect? What kind of things should I learn about? How how's my consciousness going to be elevated? Yeah, so there's the historical component. So there's learning about the history of women's oppression, which is really interesting. You know, where have we been and how did we get where we are today? There's a cultural component. So looking at how um, women and gender and men are portrayed in television, in film, in music, etc. There's a global component. So learning not just about um, women and girls' experiences here in the U.S., but all over the world, because as we know, um, women's experiences in other countries can be vastly different from those um, of women here in the U.S. Um, There's an LGBTQ component. There's a queer studies class that's offered. There's a communication component. Uh, The neat thing about the Women's Studies program is that it's truly interdisciplinary. And, of course, there's a political component, right, as well, and talking about women in politics, their history of marginalization, and where they are today. Gotcha. You know, Mary, I was thinking, telling a friend of mine, I, I, I wonder if maybe it's slightly off subject, I don't know. We were talking just a moment ago about um, how social media um, has been generally a good thing, maybe some negative effects as well when when it comes to all these issues. But we're seeing so much movement. Um, We're seeing so much pushback after the Supreme Court decision last year, Um, you know, kind of during and and post having a President Trump. Um, You know, a lot of things that have been happening. And I I was telling a friend of mine, I, I feel like we are in the middle of a revolution that like my great-grandchildren will recognize this era, not a war, not like a revolutionary war, um, maybe a war of words, maybe a war of, of peaceful protests. And I think more than anything of people just saying, I'm, we're not giving up on this. This is not a short-term thing. You know, we are absolutely demanding equality when it comes to whether it's women's rights, whether it has to do with anti-racism, um, wages, you know, all of these things I feel like are happening. Is it that big of a deal? Are we really in the middle of a really a global movement to improve the very things you're talking about? I do think we are. And I think that perhaps that's the sentiment of every generation, because certainly um, what was going on in the 1960s was a, yeah. was tumultuous as well. And what was going on in the early 1900s with labor uprisings and walkouts by the tens of thousands on a near weekly basis was tumultuous as well. But I, I do agree with your point. And I think that one thing that makes this um, historical moment different is social media And I always talk about in my classes with students, it really is a boon and also um, 
and also uh, it has many negative repercussions as well. So it depends on who has the platform and how they're using it, as we know. Um, but but yes, absolutely. There's I don't want to sound too um, optimistic. It's, you know, it's is the glass half, half empty or half full. There are reasons to be optimistic and hopeful, one of which I think I always tell students is that in my lifetime, I've seen tremendous positive change in the area of LGBTQ rights, like mm-hmm. just remarkable, um, re- remarkable difference from when I was their age. So we can be hopeful and we also need to be really cautious and dig in our heels and continue to fight. You can definitely see with, with that particular or issues that surround LGBTQ plus, um, I think you and I are probably around the same age. And I think that it's kind of our generation that was sort of pivotal because when we look at like my own children and yours, regardless, I think, well, not that your family has no influence, but I mean, it just seems like my, my, my sons and their friends, it's just not even a thing. Yeah. Like they're there. It just doesn't even, they don't, they don't care who you're dating or who you're sleeping (laughs) with or anything. You know, where when we were that age, a lot of people were raising eyebrows or doing way, way worse than that. Yeah. And we, we were the ones that were kind of, I'm not saying we're responsible for making all of that change, but I think we were kind of like that hinge. And a lot of us have moved over in a way that we should have all along. Um, but the folks behind us, I don't think it's as big of a fight. Yeah. Yeah. Even a good example, the normalization of they, them as pronouns, mm-hmm. right? And even the normalization of... Um, saying what your preferred pronouns are, right? When I ask students that on the first day, they don't look at me quizzically. Mm-hmm. You know, they they let me know um, in a way that indicates to me that they've been asked that question before. Mm-hmm. I have it on all my forms as a question. I actually leave it where it's an optional response. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if somebody doesn't want to put a response or whatever, they don't have to. Obviously, people and a lot of people will put a response in the pronouns that they they place are the ones that you would have guessed if you wanted to guess mm-hmm. um, a lot of times. But I think I think it's important to let people know that all of us and that's not just you and me. That's that's really our University of Akron community. Um, you know, want to be welcoming to everybody and respectful to everybody. So, right. I think uh, one of the one of my favorite things uh, you mentioned the normalization of pronouns, and that actually really stood out to me because I remember. Um, everyone talking about how Instagram lets you put and display your pronouns just below your your username. So it's pretty much like the second or third thing you'll see if you visit somebody's profile. And uh, you mentioning that and also this optimism um, and this this focus on this this new topic that to a lot of people is very new and very, you know, uh, contentious and not everyone's got their opinion on it. But I think at the end of the day, there is this... Uh, this optimism and this hope and this focus on on creating something um, more more socially uh, present and more making people more socially aware. And I think that uh, you mentioning optimism uh, particularly strikes a chord with me. And I was wondering uh, how you feel about our current state of of that that sort of affair where people are getting more optimistic and people are uh, caring, but there's also this this toxic community that you know, kind of spreads their hate or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, just for me personally, I think, you know, trying to be hopeful and optimistic on certain social issues is really important. And I think that uh, I'm very interested to hear what you have to say on that. Yeah. So I think that having some degree of hope is essential um, so that you don't um, uh, sort of drag yourself down a never-ending hole of um, 
of trauma and pain. <laughs> um, Gramsci said that we should have a pessimism of the intellect, but an optimism of the will. I like that framing. It's really important to maintain hope, but it's hard to when you see recent Supreme Court decisions, when you see who's even on the Supreme Court, when you um, hear about what happened to Tyree Nichols and so many others. But it's important to continue to work together, to look for allies, to be allies when we can, because that's where the energy and the momentum comes from. We can turn. There, there needs to be anger there, right? Like if you're not outraged, I think um, there's maybe something wrong with you. But um, you need that sense of outrage and anger, but then turn it into action as best you can and know that you can't do everything, but you can do something. You know, when you talk about being an ally, define that for people. There might be people listening who have heard that thrown out, but they don't know, like, what actions do they take to be an ally? Yeah. So we would consider an ally um, perhaps someone who doesn't occupy the space of marginality that the folks in the movement do. So as a white person, um, I should first recognize that I benefit from white privilege and that I want to work to dismantle white privilege, and I can be an ally in racial justice movements, meaning I can show solidarity and I can participate. But as an ally, I'm not going to be the voice or the face of racial justice movements. And so you can say the same thing about men in women-identified movements. You you can say the same thing about straight people and LGBTQ movements. You kind of have to know your place, really. Exactly. Know I mean, when to sit down and know when to sit back. Know when and how to be an ally yeah, is really just be important. There. Just yeah. be there for the people. and Because I, I get that where you're, you know, if you have a, a white person who is suddenly going to step out front and start speaking, as you know, it really defeated your whole purpose because you're, you're really not even helping at that point. Right. You know, I mean, you're 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 almost making it sound like, well, we need a white person to to make this happen, and that's exactly what you're supposed to be fighting against. Right. So. <laughs> right. How important is it to have allies? Because uh, me personally, in my personal life, I try my best. I have you know different groups of friends and and all from different cultural backgrounds and and races and genders and all that. Um, I try my best to be an ally, but I know that it can be pretty challenging sometimes trying to be so knowledgeable in all these different things and. You know, my friends have their firsthand experience already. They don't really need to be taught these things. Um, I was always wondering that growing up, uh, having different backgrounds and different you know kind, kinds of friends and all that, um, how important is it to have an ally in your social circle or to have a, a voice that maybe wouldn't be yours, but regardless, still supporting you? Yeah, so I think that allies are important in the movement. I think if you want to be an ally, one thing to do is to ask questions. What can I do? Um, how, what uh, What would you recommend I read to learn more about, you know, disability struggles or racial justice struggles? Be an ally in that way. And I think that from the perspective of the marginalized struggles, it really depends on your goals. It depends on your audience. It depends on, you know, what you're trying to do um, in terms of what role an ally can play. Gotcha. Let's show my people once again, um, Southwest of Salem coming up on March 8th at the University of Akron Student Union. Just go to the Gardner Theater 
Um, what time was that again? 7 to 9 p.m. And do, do people need to RSVP or can they just show up? Just show up. Okay. Free and open to the public. And before we go to, there's another event coming up um, in April also, I think linked to Women's Studies. Um, and that's a poetry reading. That's right. The Women's Studies program holds an monthly rethinking gender lunchtime talk okay. we hold this talk about three times three times in fall and two or three times in the spring our april talk this year is april 7th it's from noon to one they're always noon to one in the student union room 308 and for the past few years for our april talk we've had a poetry reading because april is national poetry month the reading is going to be with Dr. Mary Biddinger, she's a professor in the English department here at the University of Akron, and also Mixby Dickin. They will both be reading their own poetry at Rethinking Gender, noon to 1, April 7th, in room 308 of the Student Union. Okay, for people who do have more interest in women's studies in general, um, you want to learn a little bit about what that certificate is or what that minor is and some of the coursework and stuff, you really can just go to the University of Akron through the website. If you just Google University of Akron Women's Studies, you'll find it very, very easily. And uh, there's quite a nice breakdown there of, you know, faculty and events and um, the exact courses that you would need to take and that sort of thing so you can learn a little bit more. And then you can always contact Mary for more information. Zips Unlimited can be heard each Saturday at noon on 88.1 WZIP-FM. The 88.1 88.1 88.1 88.1 88.1 88.1 88.1 88.1 88.1 88.1 88.1 88.1 88.1 88.1 88.1 88.1 88.1 88.1 88.1 88.1 88.1 88.1 88.